Hey there, Warrior. It is Jeff from Warrior Life, and welcome to podcast episode number 422. So a lot of people ask me for my advice on, like, what's the best fighting system that they should be training in to prepare for real attacks? It's actually a pretty tricky question because it really depends upon a lot of factors that are specific to the person who is looking to train. However, regardless of which system that you personally choose, where you strike somebody is actually a lot more critical than how hard or in what way you're actually striking them. So in this episode, I brought in an old friend of mine who's an expert in the little known spots on your attacker's body. They're going to cause the most damage with the least amount of striking power. Specifically, how to use pressure point targets to end the fight fast, no matter how much bigger or stronger your attacker is than you. Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey there, Warrior. It is Jeff Anderson, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com and the Warrior Life Academy. Now, a little something that you may not know about me. Um, I guess you could say that I was always into hand and weapons combatives. So when I was four years old, Saturday mornings meant a bowl of Fruit Loops and being glued to the television, waiting for that, that next old film release on Saturday Tarzan Theater. And then immediately afterwards, I would race up to our attic and I had my my official rubber Tarzan knife in its little case. And, and me and my stuffed animal chimpanzee and I would battle my giant lion and all the other stuffed animals up in my attic for rule of the jungle. Now, when I was 14 years old, Saturday mornings meant a bowl of fried rice and my best friend and I binge watching Kung Fu theater. And immediately after that, my buddy and I would race off to the garage where we would battle each other using our favorite death touch moves. Now, I was always a little mystified by how these movie warriors could bring like a grown man to his knees or they could send him sailing through the air like 50 feet with just one finger fired strategically into a secret spot on the body that he had trained for years with a Kung Fu master in some tiny mountain village in China. Now, all special effects and mysticism aside, while you may not be able to send some giant thugs sailing through the air with just one finger, there are several points on the body that can bring him to his knees or even knock him out without you having to be big and strong yourself and without having to train for years in some remote mountain hut. All it takes is a little know-how and how to use the body's pressure points as targets when you're striking your attacker. And the best person on the planet to show us exactly how to do this today is Russell Stutley. Russell, welcome back to the program, man. Uh, great. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's great to see you again. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had you on. But um, listen, everybody, if you haven't heard Russell's bio before, um, you know, people ask me, like, they're like, what are the best martial arts out there? And I and I always say, like, it really depends upon what it is for you, right? But as I've gotten older, especially, um, I want to do the least amount of work with the least amount of training. And, you know, we all have busy lives. And so when people ask me, especially when they are maybe older or um, don't have as much mobility or health issues, things like that, um, Russell is the person that I like to go to for that stuff. There are some, definitely some hardcore different types of martial arts out there or combative systems. But the topic that we're going to be covering today is one that for me, it, this is kind of like the holy grail, 
but it does take some know-how. Now, if you haven't seen Russell's training before, he is acknowledged as Europe's leading authority on the use of acupressure points in martial arts. And he's a regular columnist in some of the martial arts industries. Um, you know, some of the magazines are out there. So you may have seen him in there as well. He has several black belts. He's trained in about every other fighting system he could possibly get his access, access to. Um, really kind of making it his mission to destroy the myths that martial arts, you know, that we sometimes, you know, poo-poo, really don't have a street application. He's been set out to really show that they do if you're doing them the right way and if you are taking the best of what you learn and applying it to these real world types of scenarios. Now, ultimately, his path did bring him to the study of how to use the body's most vulnerable points to your advantage by striking these spots to create debilitating pain and even potentially knock somebody out and with as little effort as possible. Now, ultimately, that study and the development of this science earned him the respect of being the most influential expert in the field of pressure point fighting. And he's got lots of DVDs that are out there, lots of training programs that that really do level the battlefield for even the smaller men and women out there who really look at being up against somebody who's bigger and stronger than them and really need something that is going to help them survive the situation and really walk away the victor from any kind of an attack. Now, you can find out more about Russell and his fighting system at secretpressurepointknockouts.com. So, Russell, I mean, that, that's I'm not just blowing smoke with that. Like when people ask me about like what martial arts system should I use or what combative system, you know, I'm a big believer that people really should look at what fits best for them. If you're young and agile and everything and you want like a good workout, I might steer somebody more towards something like a Krav Maga or, um, you know, World War II combatives. You know, we have we've got a huge network. Right. But a lot of people really don't see themselves training a lot, don't want to go to the dojo a lot. Um, and maybe they do have health issues, they have mobility problems. And so I always, like I say, this is like the stuff that you're able to do, just it blows me away. Um, it looks like magic tricks out there. So I think for those people that haven't maybe seen one of our other videos before, or one of our other streams, or are unfamiliar with your work, what is a pressure point and what makes it so devastating as a striking target when you're defending yourself? Okay, well, thanks for the intro, first of all, Jeff. I'll have to ask you to do all of them for me. That was fantastic. Thank you. Um, but when it comes to pressure points, okay, to put it really simply, it's just a, a weak area of the body that most people don't even know is there. I mean, we're all aware of things like the eyes and the throat and the groin and all that sort of thing. And we're, we're all aware of things like if you bang your elbow and you hit the funny, funny bone on your elbow or you bang your shin or something like that. We're all aware of those things. But what most people aren't aware of is are those pressure point targets that are very weak areas of the body. And because of the fact that we're not aware of them, we tend not to defend them. In any sort of self-defense situation, fight situation, you're aware of the fact that you can get smacked in the face, kicked in the groin, and whatever, and you tend to look after those areas. But the pressure point areas that, um, and again, I call them areas to start with for people because they only need to hit that area as opposed to a specific point, which is much smaller, of course. And once they understand those pressure point areas, which can be learned very, very quickly, it gives them that, that added advantage. Now, having said that, it's not going to take somebody from absolutely useless, couldn't fight sleep to a warrior in a couple of seconds. 
you know, if, if you're good, you're going to get better. If you're excellent, you're going to get even more excellent. And if you're not very good, you will improve. But um, it's not a, it's not going to save, you know, like the person who can't do anything is not going to make them a, a top class fighter in a, in a couple of minutes. I just want to make that absolutely clear. And we never say it's going to do that, but it will massively increase whatever skills you currently have. Sure. So the pressure point itself, though, like, like, I guess there is a, a really good kind of parallel there. Like people know, like the the groin, right? Like he's, any, any guy that's ever been racked in the balls, like knows that it hurts like hell. So we understand that when we get hit there, that hurts. Um, the pressure points themselves. I mean, that's not a pressure point. I mean, there, there may be one there. I don't know. But I know that there's when we talk about pressure points, there's like the there's the Chinese lingo for it, like L six or gallbladder six. And, you know, there's different things like that, but, um, are they, are they like convergence? Is there a convergence of nerves there? They all just come together in that one spot for a specific reason. And when you hit in that area, it sends a pain signal or it has a very specific, um, can kind of demystify the science of what a pressure point is on our body. Yeah. Well, it's very simply, we've all heard of uh, acupressure, things like that, and ac- acupuncture, where you know they stick a needle in and it makes people better. We all know that, and we all know it works. Most of us probably know somebody who's had it if we haven't had it ourselves. And we've all heard of things, you know, like pressing in between the thumb and the finger to get rid of a headache and all those sort of things. And that's all part and parcel of the same thing. Now, the traditional Chinese medicine is what it comes from, and these tradition and these Chinese names for it, which we don't use the English that we use the English names, like you say, like lung and gallbladder, they can be quite confusing. If I if you say to somebody, you know, we're going to go for lung six and then hit there and hit there and hit there, and you go, what on earth are you on about? You know, so I like to keep it nice and simple and say, the top of the arm just there, smack it one. Just here, smack it one. And, you can learn all the other stuff as you go along, but the more basic and simple the explanation, the more likely it is that people will want to take it on board and use it. And I know this from, from training fighters over the years. What a lot of people don't know is that I'm actually the national boxing coach for Cambodia. I coach the boxing coaches. So, you know, it's high level boxing coaching. We don't, you don't do things like high level boxing coaching on the one hand and esoteric bullshit on the other if you pardon my French so when I'm talking about pressure points I'm talking about stuff that actually works right and you know we we, so the point is is that once people understand that all of that terminology you don't need to learn you can learn it in the background if you want and I can teach you it if that's what you want I give you that information but you don't need to learn it we keep it as simple as we possibly can so that anybody can pick it up very quickly so the pressure points will enhance every technique that you're doing. I don't care what it is, whether it's striking, grappling, takedowns, throws, whatever. The use of the points, the correct use of them, will make those techniques far more effective, far more effective. And that's what we specialize in doing is, is explaining them in a simple way, something that's easy to use, easy to apply, and easy to teach to somebody else. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I've been digging through your DVDs for years. Um, and, and while they're not Kung Fu theater, I have seen your training partners all either writhe in pain 
on the floor or just about hit the floor unconscious after you, it seems like you just tap them in some spot on their body. Of course, you know, all that's done in, in kind of like a relaxed training environment. They're a willing trainee. It's not somebody who's, you know, methed up and just ready to just take your head off and can't feel any pain or anything. So tell me how, how reliable are these pressure points for having an effect on somebody who is bigger and stronger, maybe more muscular or doesn't feel pain because they're all hyped up on adrenaline of the fight or, or drugs. Yeah. Well, can I just answer that in two parts? First, sure. first of all, the, the, uh, the instructional DVD part. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see people falling over and being a, that's genuine falling over and genuine pain because it hurts like shit. It really does when it's done properly. So I just want to get that out there and it's genuine. And it's, but it's teaching speed, teaching power and teaching environment, which as you said, is very, very different to the drunk guy or the messed up guy coming to attack me on Saturday night. As it is with every single martial art out there teaching speed, training speed, and fight speed are very, very different. And self-defense speed is even more different. So when it comes to the, the, the method or the drunk on a Saturday night wanting to pick a fight with you, the effectiveness is, is limited by your effectiveness. In so much as if you are unable to even throw a punch back to the bad guy, then nothing's going to save you anyway. So I want to clear that up. Again, it comes back to me saying it doesn't turn a somebody who couldn't fight sleep into a warrior overnight. If they can't actually throw anything themselves, if they're unable to even throw a punch, nothing's going to help them. It doesn't matter what martial art or whatever system they do, it doesn't matter. If they are able to throw a technique, then again, you're going to increase the effectiveness of whatever it is that you're doing by anywhere from 20 to 100%. Now, as regards drunks, meth heads, things like that, then here's the thing. When people don't feel pain through the drugs that they're on, that's fine. The pain doesn't matter in so much as the effect on the body is still the same. And I'll explain what I mean. When, for example, a strike to a certain point is done, let's say it's just one on the chin or something like that, They may not feel the pain of that strike, but the body reacts in the same way as somebody who hasn't got the drugs. So, and all of our police and security officers have found this to be the case. That's why we've got over a hundred police academies around the world where our stuff's required learning. We've got 20,000 security officers a year doing that training. And that's for a reason, it works. And so these guys are putting their lives on the line every day of the week. So they're having to rely on this stuff working. So we can tell you quite categorically, it's working against all levels of threat, whether from the from the you know just the passive resistance right the way through to that crackhead or meth head coming at you with bad intent. Mm. So the 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 points themselves and the correct application of them will increase the effectiveness of whatever you're doing, depending on the person, of course between 20 to 100%. Now, 20% for somebody who's got skills is a huge increase for somebody who's already got good skills. And 100% is a great increase for somebody with not very many skills, if that makes sense. 
but it's still a huge increase. And, and we know at the top level, even half a percent is, can make the difference between a world champion and an also rank. So those, those sort of differences make a massive, massive difference to the outcome. And we know this from our feedback from the police forces over the last 20 years and all the security officers, the lack of injuries to the officers and the lack of um, you know, bad injuries, lesser injuries, the ease at which they've been able to um, affect the arrest or the stoppage of something has, has been made so much better through the usage of these systems. So, so that makes a lot of sense. So, so what I'm hearing you say is that um, there's you don't need to feel pain in order to be affected by these because the body has its own internal protective mechanisms that um, essentially if, it, if you overload the central nervous system out of its own self-protection, it's going to shut down. And that doesn't have to sometimes, you know, sometimes that can be because of extreme pain. Somebody can be going through um, extreme pain and pass out. Um, it's a way that their body can stop instantly stop you from feeling that pain. But if you don't feel pain, your body still has to protect the functioning of your body. So if you strike somebody across the the chin or you um, and it rattles their their brain inside of the skull, the 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 brain still recognizes that as potential trauma, and it can it can you can black out from that. Or if there's this overloading of the central nervous system from even striking something on a completely opposite side of the body, like down, I know there's, there's different pressure points, like even down in the leg and the, and the ankle area. And so even doing that, the body can still get an overload of the central nervous system and potentially even black out from that, or at least get uh, delayed or allow for another strike or for you to exit and, and things like that. Am, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, we use sometimes the analogy of that, even though they don't feel the pain, so as to speak, the, the body still reacts as if they had felt the pain. If I explain it better by saying something like, if you trip over right, when you're drunk, you don't feel it when you fall over, but you still fell over. Mm. right? So if you imagine the, the, the loss of balance, if you like, is that pressure point being used, but in this case, it will be whatever it is that you're doing. So the effect is still the same. So the person still fell over, they still had the effect, the same effect as if as a sober person. The drunk person didn't feel it when he fell over, but he still fell over. Mm. And so we can say that the, the outcome is exactly the same in so much as they fell over or that the hit knocked them down or the lock put them down or whatever it may be, or the, the, the hit to the point moved them out of the way, whatever it is, the outcome is still the same regardless of whether they felt the pain or not. Obviously, you want them to feel pain as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're going to hit somebody, you might as well make them feel the pain of it. So, um, but but you're going to get the outcome. Gotcha. And it's a predictable outcome, which is the great thing about it. Yeah, that's what I like about it too, is the, is the predictability of it. And then I'm, actually, I'm going to have a question about that here in just a minute. But I think to give people a little bit more illustration of this, um, some people might be watching us via the stream uh, on one of the social media channels, and some people might be like just listening over our podcast. But can you give us an example of of an easy to locate pressure point target that someone can strike that will work against someone who is bigger and stronger than them? Um, I guess describe it as best you can and how to use it. 
Um, well, this one just, we've never ever known it go wrong unless somebody's just completely missed. You know, it's like if you, if you throw a punch and you completely miss the target, well, obviously that didn't work. And that's how, how badly you have to do this for it not to work. Okay, so it's a pretty good one to know. So, so people can look it up. It's called Gallbladder 20. So they can go and look up on the interweb. You can just type it in where is Gallbladder 20 or GB20 and you'll find it. But to explain where it is for people, if you, it's on the back of the head. And if you imagine a line from the bottom of your ear round to your spine, if you're stood up round to, the, to your spine, the center of your spine, and that line is parallel to the floor. So just take a straight line round. It's the same on everybody, and it's on both sides of the head. It's a bilateral thing. And there's a round bone there at the back of the head called the occipital bone. So from the ear to the spine, halfway on the underside of that occipital bone is the point gallbladder 20. Ideally, ideally at low, low power levels, teaching speed, teaching power, teaching environment you tap it very lightly from left to right and up so if you're hitting one side uh gallbladder 20 you aim the opposite side out of the forehead is the teaching speed teaching power teaching environment lightly just tap it like you would knock on a door and the other guy should wobble a little bit and be a little bit dizzy in reality you just twat it as hard as you can forearm it, elbow it, punch it, slap it, headbutt it, hit it with a stick, a glass, a bottle, an ashtray, whatever stand, whatever you want. We just say, just twat it one. Just hit it as hard as you can and they go out. Now, your hard as you can might be harder than my hard as you can, might be harder than Joe Bloggs hard as you can. So a, a hard as you can is obviously, there's always a superlative. There's always somebody who can hit harder and it's always relative to you. So but we say just for safety's sake in training, you hit it as hard as you would a knocking on a door. Not knock, knocking on a door for a friend, not knocking on a door as a policeman trying to get in. And in a fight, you just twat it as hard as you possibly can. However hard you can hit, hit it that hard. And you do not need to be accurate. If you can get your whole of your forearm across that area, they're going to go anyway. And it's so reliable. Um, we've like I said, the only times we've known of a failure is when they completely missed. But if they've hit anywhere around there with any level of force, they've gone out. It's an absolutely superb one. Yeah, this was one of my favorite moves that you had off of the DVDs when I was going into them. What I like about it is that it even works like from ground fighting. Uh, standpoint like you know a lot and a lot of times you can see this if you watch like a ufc fight or something like that and you know they have limitations so it's hard to you don't see them doing things a lot of the time that you could do when you're in these uh positions and so i think that that kind of limits people but when you if you can see yourself even just being down on the ground somebody being on top of you if you can get behind their their head and whack them in that spot, it could be a game changer for getting somebody off of you as well. And so that's one of the things I really liked about that move when you first showed it to me, that was years ago. Um, but yeah, I, lo I love that. I love that, uh, that move. Um, you know, a lot of people carry a firearm or some other defensive weapon on them for personal defense. So they don't really spend a lot of time training for unarmed combatives. No. Uh, 
I know that your techniques are being used and, and, and taught in law enforcement academies in the United States and around the world. So obviously they have their place for anyone who has access to lethal weapons, but how do these pressure point tactics integrate with the use of other weapons in a real attack? Okay. Well, the first thing I want to say on this is, is about the we, first thing we teach is the weapon retention rather than the weapon use, because we know from the police and from FBI and other units around Europe and, and uh, Asia that the vast majority of the of officers getting shot or beaten were with their own weapon. It was taken off them and used by the bad guy on there. So the first thing that we taught was weapon retention, and it's a very simple method that's just worked and it's saved countless injuries, and I don't know if... We can only assume it saved lives because it saved officers from having their weapon taken. So we know it saved injuries and it saved possibly saved lives. I can't say for sure because obviously we can't say for sure. But when the weapon's not been taken, that officer's not been hurt. So that we'll we'll get to that. So that that's very important. Now the striking areas that we teach can be used with a baton, they can be used with the with a flashlight, they can be used with any weapon as, a, as an impactive weapon. So all of those that we teach empty hand can be used with a weapon straight away, immediately. I mean, one of the main things that we teach the police is how to increase their striking power, their impact of their strikes. And we, we can normally double or even treble somebody's impact in a couple of hours of training. And we've got numerous countless police testimonials to confirm all of that and once they've got that increase in power um, in the gym so to speak even if they do drop off 50 percent when they get out on the street through fear nerves or just the situation if they've doubled their power anyway and they drop back down 50 percent they're at their their old full power rather than half that old full power is what they would have been so with that taking all of that into account, all the problems that can happen, that massive increase in power is still going to keep you at a very high level of power. So when it comes to weapons, we teach exactly the same as we do empty hand. And you just put the weapon in your hand, whether it's a, a, a baton, whether it's a knife, whether it's uh, the, you know, the handle of your gun because something's gone wrong, or whether it's a glass, a bottle, whatever it may be, it's the same weapon retention, exactly the same, and exactly the same method of attack. And that way, the officer, and more importantly, the civilians, when they need it, because especially the way violence has gone over the last few years, um, it needs to be something that's easily repeated. Whether um, you know they pick up a weapon, they need to know how to use it. So we don't teach a separate system for weapons, so to speak. Otherwise, you'd have a, a system for a knife, a system for a gun, a system for a baton, a system. It's too much. Um, if you have one system, doesn't matter whether you've got a weapon or not, it's exactly the same. And it works. And, you know, again, I, I, I always refer back to the fact that we've got so many people doing it day in, day out, and their lives depend on it. I mean, this isn't a you know, a sports combat thing where there's bells, flags, whistles, and referees, which I know is a tough game. I've been a national boxing coach. I understand the physicality and how tough sports combat is. 
but these are people who are genuinely putting their lives on the line and it's working for them. So I just refer to that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I, I think would also fall into that category, like the advantages of, 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 of being able to use these pressure points like that, especially when integrating with other weapons is that, um, if you have the, if one, it gives you confidence, right? Like if you know that if you can, you can strike somebody in a specific spot and you'll have a very predictable response from them, potentially even knocking them out. When you know you, you can do that when you have that ability, it gives you the confidence that will help alleviate some of the fear and the adrenaline that goes into even just the pre-fighting stage, being able to talk yourself out of something, being able to look calm, cool, and confident because sometimes if somebody is an aggressor, they are looking for signs that you are afraid, that you are an easy target, especially if it's out in public and they want to look like a big man or whatever. It's they can be that can even go go them on more because they don't really have anything to lose there. If you, I, I always feel like when you know what you can do to the human body and how easy it is to destroy somebody's body, there's a there's a confidence that shows through. And yes. I believe that people, especially those that are used to fighting, are they can kind of recognize when they're about ready to fight somebody that might be taking it to them, no matter how big or small they are, especially people that are have ever been in prison or, you know, we, we've had we've talked to people who and how they've survived prison and how how they fought in prison. And the one thing they always say is like, you never judge a book by its cover. Sometimes it's not the big badass out there who's the one you need to worry about. Sometimes it's the little, the little guy who's crazy or just knows how to fight because they had to because they were small and scrappy. Um, and I think the last thing I would say, the, the advantage that you have here is that if you, if you know that you can defeat an attacker with just your hands, um, it keeps you from going to the weapon that could get you into legal trouble. So if, you know, they say if, you, if all, the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think oftentimes people that are gun guys or gun girls, that's what they believe in. That's what they carry. Like, why do I need to know unarmed combat? I think that um, if if that's the only thing you got, like every situation that you get into and we see people do this, they they just think it's a nail and they break out the hammer. And then all of a sudden they're in trouble for doing it where you don't have to resort to that if you know that you it's not a, a life-threatening situation, but you might actually have to use your hands in order to be able to do it. And of course, there's always the, you're in close quarters combat, like you have to get to your gun, even to be able to retain, you know, well, it could be, it could be snatched out of your holster, but um, these, these attacks happen in close quarters. And so you might be struggling with your gun, you might have to fight the person to be able to get to your gun. If you don't have to trade blows for the next five minutes back and forth until he gets tired, if you can do it with one or two strikes where you're just hitting the right spot, and it just gives you that momentary ability to either escape, follow up with another attack, or get to your weapon, like close quarters combat. Like this is something that's going to that's going to really greatly help you there. So I think that's a those are big parts of it too, where I see advantages in having gone through your training and 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 worked with these things. Uh, yeah, Russell, the oh, did you, was there some? I'm sorry. Well, it was just the case that the, the most of the people that have had their weapon taken off them, it was when they were going to get the weapon mm. it was it was they hadn't actually but well in many cases they had but the majority were when they were trying to get to their weapon at which point then the bad guys go in there as well 
and it's a struggle between the two people who can get the weapon either out the holster or out or wherever it may wherever it was. Uh, it may have been partially out or fully out almost or not quite out. But it's it's that when to when when you go for your weapon. Because that's that's um it's rare that I've seen that actually taught that when do you draw? Mm. And um so we make a, a point of saying, well, you know, if you're unsure then you are definitely sure because if there's any doubt, then there's no doubt. Don't do it. If there's any doubt, whether it's right or whether, whether you, if there's any doubt, if you've got time to draw, don't, don't draw attack. If there's any doubt, there's no doubt. We always say so, um, but that was what happened. And that's what we know from the police figures and the security figures is that it's when they go for it, which is of course is the best time to attack the bad guy. When you see him going for his weapon, <laughs> because if his hands are down going for the weapon, his chin's open. Yeah, so. this is um what you just said is huge. And let me let me tell you what just sparked in my mind here was that um you know, we always say like if there's any because I've I've had this situation come up when I was in the military and um in a training exercise where I hesitated, 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 because I couldn't determine who was the who were the bad guys and who were the good guys. Turned out that it was the bad guys, and I and I got, you know killed in the in the uh the training exercise um so i learned from that lesson there that if you if there's any doubt of whether or not this person is going to strike you or is going to attack you but you feel like you've done everything you can to get out of it like you take the first hit you strike first like if there's any doubt there you you err on the side of i'd rather take this guy out because i have other things to say well well, wait now they're I, I gave him an out. He didn't take it, and I was in fear. So there was those those sorts those sorts of things. It does not work the same way. And this is what I got from what you just said. It doesn't work the same way when you have something like a handgun, because then if you, as you say, if there's any doubt, like don't draw your weapon. And there's value in that because if you do draw your weapon and you are not legally justified to even show your weapon, and this is a huge mistake that a lot of people make then you could be arrested just for brandishing your firearm. It could be a felony even without even taking it out of your holster. So um, so there's that's interesting that it's like the exact opposite, but you're safer if you have to strike somebody, you're not doing so with a, a loaded gun. You're not doing it with a lethal weapon. You're using your hands and that's going to be way more justifiable for you if you ever do have to answer to the police when they show up. And they got to scoop this guy up off the off the pavement. You'll be able to better explain that than pulling out a firearm. So that's uh, that's huge, man. That's huge. Thank um, you. But, you know, we're saying nothing moves faster than your hands. You can. You, we we've proved it time and time again with people, um, especially with knife work, where we said you know don't don't even think about doing anything special with a knife. From years and years of boxing, I can jab and land pretty much on anybody. You put a knife in my hand and I've got an extra two, three, four, five, whatever inches of reach. I can be jabbing you in the face with the knife and in the throat before you can move. So you've got to think about how these weapons can be used and know that the hands are so fast that if somebody's reaching for something, you can hit them and knock them out before they can draw, mm-hmm. especially if you understand distance. So you, we say if there's any doubt whether you can get to your weapon or not, don't <laughs> just hit them and <laughs> make sure you can. Make sure you've got that time distance if a weapon is required, if it's required. But again, it's a big, big forfeit if you get it wrong. Yeah, no, great point. Great point. 
you know, Russell, I always, I got to say like watching your DVD sometimes it's, it's funny because I, I really feel bad for your training partners. Um, watching you demonstrate these different strikes on your partners, it really does kind of make them look like magic tricks sometimes. And I, and I know that they're legit. Like you can see the guys, they're willing partners, but you can see that they're like, they're, they're woozy. And, and uh, it's pretty, it's sometimes comical. I mean, I've seen you laugh at it exactly also when you, when you see um, their response to it and you know it, but um, it seems like for the untrained person out there that these techniques really have to be used in order to understand how powerful that they can be. Um, how does someone safely train with the techniques on your DVD so that they can gain the confidence in them working without, and I mean like without harming their training partner, because I would like, and I've not done this yet, right? Like I go by, I see what, I see what you're able to do with them on other people, but I'm afraid like with my training partner, if I hit them, um, you know, is it going to be too hard? Am I hitting the right? Like it's, it's, it takes a lot of, like, I want to be confident that I can just really use this in a real attack, but I don't feel like I can train it under, I guess, under, um, under combat speed or if you will, or, or training speed, uh, what's the best way? How do you get people to transition there where they can do it on their own by just watching the DVDs and they have it, if they have a training partner, how can they prove to themselves that this stuff works? Yeah, I explain it to people like this. I say, right, we've all seen boxing and martial arts. Maybe your listeners have done martial arts. We all know that a, a good boxer's punch in the jaw knocks people out. We all know that a good body shot puts them down. We all know that a kick to the groin puts people down. And we all know how to kick. Yeah, anybody can kick to the, to the balls. Anyone can do that. They can swing the leg and kick. Now, knowing that, knowing that to be true, you wouldn't kick your training partner in the balls as hard as you can in training. You would, you would do it to miss on purpose or you just to go close to. So when it comes to the points, what we suggest that people do is that they train to kick really hard, for example, or stomp really hard. But then when they train the point, they start off so light that it probably does nothing to start with. And then gradually get a little bit harder and get some feedback from their training partner as to what the pain level is. So we tell people to use a simple numbering system of zero is I felt nothing. 10 is you effing idiot. That hurts so effing much. It's my go now. I'm going to hit you just as hard, that sort of thing. And you gradually go from naught up to whatever is a mutually agreed number. And normally around about four, five, six, people say just that's enough. That's enough. And at that point, only you know how hard you did hit. And only you know how hard you can hit. And then we say to people, just do the maths from there. Or in America, do the math, I think we would say. So we say, just do the maths from there and work it out. I mean, when, when we do the teaching stuff and the DVDs, I'm going very, very light, but I, I'm pretty well versed in it. I know exactly what I'm doing. So I get tend to get a bit more of an effect than, than somebody else might do at the same power level. But I know how hard I can hit. And the difference between teaching hitting and actual hitting is extreme. It's a, a massive difference. And I equate it back again to boxing, again, because I've worked with so many top-level boxers over the years and stuff like that. You know, On the heavy bag, you're going as hard as you can and you're really working. 
in a spa, you might be going very light because you might be doing some technical sparring. So it might be very light by comparison. Um, but that doesn't mean that you would fight like a technical spa. You're doing something technical to learn. And then on the bag, you go heavy. And then in occasional open spa, you go very heavy. But that's only occasional. And it should be the same with points. We say use the same, exactly the same principles, exactly the same methods. Train it light, understand where it is. Once you've felt it, you'll know. But then train to actually do the technique that you're practicing as powerful as you possibly can, knowing that in training, you're only going light and getting a huge effect. And then it gives you the confidence to know that should you need to use it on the street or wherever, that when you bang on one properly, you know it's going to have a real good effect because you know what a little tap can do. So that's how we approach it and how we teach it. And, and it works that way. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And that's something that you can. I like how, I like that exchange and, and that gauging there that you can do with another with another person too. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great, a great progression there. Um, listen, everybody, the only thing left to do here is really like find out where these points are and find out the different ways that you can strike them and, and really see it in action. Now, I, like I said, Russell has a, a bunch of DVDs that are out there on a whole bunch of different um, topics. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his, uh, the MFS uh, fighting system that he uses and the, uh, the pressure point knockouts. Like, what he's done is he put to, put all these together into a special training package that he's making available to our people at a at a discount. So you can go check out all of them, and I'll I'll tell you there there is stuff in there for weapons uh, retention and weapon use. There's also the pressure point fighting system that that you can see in there as well. There are things on there and ground fighting. Like really, it does cover the whole gambit here as well as things that you can do where you don't have to devastate somebody when it is just drunk uncle Albert at the picnic, you know, what, what are some things that you can do there? So things that are taught to law enforcement using Russell's system for people that can, you can make them compliant, right? Like there's not everything, like I said, you don't, not everything is a nail out there. So you can go check it out over at, um, it's called Iron Fortress. You can go check it over out over at, I'm sorry, warriorlife.com slash Iron Fortress will take you to a special deal that we've got set up there. Um, I highly recommend it because again, I don't want to be in a, a an all out brawl with somebody. I want to end the fight very, very quickly. And to me, where you strike is, just as important as how hard you strike, if not more important. And learning this type of a system is going to make you better with any sort of weapon as well as without a weapon, whether you have to get to your weapon, whether you have to use your weapon, whether your gun jams and now it's just hand to hand or whatever you've got, like this is only going to make you a better protector. So uh, definitely check out the bundle package that uh, Russell put together for us over at warriorlife.com slash iron fortress and, uh, and definitely check it out there. You get, it's a great deal and it's going to teach you some amazing skills. All right. All right. So that wraps up our podcast episode for this week. This is Jeff Anderson saying, prepare, train and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. 
We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive. Survive.